Welcome back to the Rally Report podcast. It's been a minute since we've had Stuart on, but I couldn't think of a better time um, to have pretty much the honorary host at this point or people's favorite of on the podcast. CSA season just wrapped up, and I think the second half of the C- PSA season as well is underway. So lots of squash these past couple of months, and I'm going to dive into it and you know talk about the CSA and some key takeaways and just you know pick Stuart's brain and on how the season went because it did not disappoint on bringing the controversy at the end, and that's what we're here to chase. But it's just been one week, Stuart, since uh, the official wrap-up of the season. Just want to check in and see how you're doing and how are you feeling about everything. Yeah, I might not have disappointed on the controversy front, but certainly disappointed on certainly from a parent's perspective. We we weren't entirely happy with how the season turned out at the end, but yeah, I mean it was another really interesting season with some great matches and lots of talking points. So um, I think most people involved in the game probably enjoyed following it, certainly the US. Yeah, I certainly enjoyed my uh, fair share of following along and what happened. Um, I remember, especially on the men's side, um, at the beginning when we did kind of, I spoke with you individually about the CSA and you, and you kind of said you kind of didn't have an idea of how the standings would look out on the men's side in terms of the rankings in general. But would you say mid-season you kind of knew that this team had the capability of winning it all? Um, it depends when mid-season is like... End of first semester, possibly not, because all our bigger matches came in the second semester. But um, I think when we our first really big match was against Harvard, and when we lost five four to them, we knew we were going to be in the mix. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you also had uh, they'd already beaten at that point. Uh, I think uh, Trinity and Yale, and possibly Princeton as well. So. So we knew, I think they'd beaten all those teams and losing 5-4 to them was a good indication that we were there or thereabouts and then we obviously had those teams still to come but it kind of played out similar to how I expected. UVA actually could have been even stronger than they were. Um, they had a freshman that was there the first semester that would have played probably three for them but could have made a big difference to their team and probably made it a, a sort of five or six way battle as opposed to yeah, probably a six-way battle instead of a five-way battle. But. Yeah. And, and for, from what I remember, Har- Harvard was the only loss of the season, and it seemed pretty convincing on the wins. Um, were there any wins that caught you off guard on the Penn side, or were you like, I, we're expected um, to? I mean, regu- regular season, I was, I was surprised that Trinity had lost a few matches, um, particularly losing to Yale and Princeton. Um it was pretty clear that Trinity were a dangerous team with a lot of talent and a lot of depth. Um, didn't really, I mean, they went into national seeded sixth, which um, seemed a little low, if I'm honest. They hadn't played. There was a bit of an issue because they didn't have UVA on the schedule, so they didn't have a direct head-to-head between those two teams. So UVA actually got the five-seed spot and Trinity got the six. Um, but yeah, that was that was a little bit surprising, but Outside of that, it was it was relatively tight. It did feel like, even though we had some good wins, I mean, we had seven two wins against um, against Princeton, sorry, eight one against Princeton, and then seven two against Yale and Trinity, and those results felt a little bit like that was us like getting we had all those matches at home, and there was a lot of things went our way, like some of the closer matches we just managed to sneak out in the. 
I knew going into nationals that there was no guarantee that we'd repeat those results, even though we were obviously hoping and confident that we could. I've always wondered, um, because wait, this nationals was held in Trinity. I wish they had, I mean, I know it was held in Penn the year before, but if they had just a, a ground where it's not a home for any team, like the Spectre Center, and I thought, why not hold it in the Spectre Center every year? But that was just an idea I had. I think that's Looking. something that we'll probably consider. I actually like having it at a college facility. I think it brings a unique atmosphere that you maybe wouldn't get at a neutral site. Like you're not going to get 200 Trinity kids showing up to the Spectre Center to cheer. You might get Penn and Drexel kids. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, as long as it's not the same school hosting it every year, I, I actually think that holding it in college facilities actually is better. Yeah, yeah. I see. And I, so I guess we'll just get into it about what had happened in nationals. Um, obviously, seeded two coming into the tournament, and I think a lot of people had eyed it as another Harvard Penn final, very tight. If you could just walk us through the first couple of rounds and then what really happened between the Trinity and Penn match, that would be great. And also, kind of, you know, describe to us what the atmosphere was like at at the venue. Yeah, like I say, the atmosphere was. We can't complain about hostile environments because <laughs> most teams that have come and played at Penn in recent years have experienced that. So uh, I actually like it. I have no issue with fans screaming, and I think the sport in general lacks that. I think when you watch some of these PSA events and there's like 10 people watching a first round match about a platinum event, it's a bit depressing. But um, yeah, we, we played Drexel for first round and got through that 7 2. We were fairly happy. That was the same as our regular season result. I mean, they obviously have Matthias at one, who's really strong at the top, um, and he, he won, and then we dropped another match lower down the order. But, yeah, we were generally happy. The big match on that first day was probably Princeton played Trinity, um, and that was a huge battle. Um, it was uh, 5-4. Could have really gone up either way. Um, it was a few... I mean, the match at number six, I think it was, between Alistair Cho and a uh, new, new kid from Hungary on the, on the Trinity team. It was really, really tight. Um, I think that maybe swung it in Trinity's favour, 5-4. But um, we were kind of, if I'm honest, we were kind of hoping we would play Princeton just because we knew um, that the Trinity guys on home courts with home crowd were going to be... <laughs> Nightmare. Bit of a tougher ask. Um, so we were kind of watching that match, hoping, um, yeah, hoping that we we'd get Princeton, but never played out that way. And then obviously, the next day we did have to play Trinity, um, and it was just a battle from start to finish, really, um, right the way through the lineup. We, we had tough matches. Um, yeah, sort of. I think we went two-one down early on. Yeah. Um, and then Nick Spaziri, who was unbeaten all year, um, he was playing number two in the second shift and went two love down to a guy that he'd beaten three love earlier in the season. Um, and he managed to fight back and win in, win in five, which was a huge win, um, both for him and for the team. Um, and that, that put his four three up, I think, uh, with two guys left. Um, we knew our number three might. I mean, he's he's had a rough season just because he's he played number one 
first semester, this is uh, Roger. Yeah. Um, with number one, he's, he's had a bit of a knee injury. It's actually, I didn't realise this until this week, but um, I don't know if you saw the video that Ali Farag put out. Yeah, I did watch it actually, yeah, yeah. Where he's talking about his knee injury, and it's almost the exact same issue that both got. Mm-hmm. Um, the issue is that um, some days he's absolutely fine, like he can step on court and play a match, train, train fully at 100%, no issues. Other days it's pretty bad. Um, rest helps it a little bit, but there's not really a direct correlation with, with like some days he'll rest it and take a couple of days off and come back and it's worse than ever. <laughs> some days he'll train really, really hard, maybe even play some games at the end and he's moving all, all around the court and you think, oh, he could be struggling tomorrow and he's absolutely fine. But we were 4-3 up at the point that he was going on along with our number nine and we knew that we just we couldn't rely on him just because of that issue with his knee, but we were pretty confident our number nine, who hadn't lost a match all season, um, was in, in a good spot, um, and he ended up losing, and so did Roger in the end. So, yeah, that, that was a big disappointment, obviously, to, to not even make the final. Um, it would have been nice to go up against Harvard after we played them early in the season and lost 5 4 in a really tight match. As well. Yeah, I think it came down to that fifth game right, with the. With, yeah. uh, so similar fourth, fourth up with yeah. two matches to go, um, two love up in one of them and two one up in the other one, and unfortunately lost them both. And uh, sticking with the this match, I think in the seventh seed, the seventh uh, games, it was with Dana Santry and Benedict yes. Tech. Is, I think there was a some issues there, and I thought maybe you'd have more insight on what had happened. Slash, I wanted to get your thoughts on. On what he thought of the situation. So I I wasn't coaching on that court, so I wasn't watching that match live. Um, uh, I know that it wasn't necessarily the cleanest match. Um, it did feel like... So the Princeton and Trinity match the day before, it was clear that a couple of the Trinity guys maybe weren't playing the cleanest squash you've ever seen in life. Actually, Takas wasn't that bad. The other Hunga- They have two Hungarian kids on their team. The other one, Daniel Simon, um, I thought he, he won what effectively was a decider against Princeton. And I thought his his trailing leg and his blocking and fishing was pretty disgraceful, if I'm honest. Um, mm-hmm. And I think uh, I think the referee actually realized that. So the referee was um, a guy called Mike Riley, who seemed pretty clued up on it um, and didn't seem to allow, allow him to get away with it too much. To the point where he actually played Sachem the next day and literally any decision that was even close to 50-50 just went Sachem's way. Um, <laughs> almost as a like, well, you got away with it yesterday. But he, like Gilly has gone back, he, he was coaching on that court and he showed me a few instances. And some of them, there was one really innocuous instance where he's just walking back to the tee and he literally just sticks his leg out to try and trip Sachem up. Oh. Like... Like, yeah, it's not even like any shot. It's it's one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life in a squash court. So, so he was pretty bad, and we knew that. And the other Hungarian guy that played Dana, I thought it was fine. I didn't see anything against Princeton that I thought was concerning. I don't know how that Dana's normally a pretty calm guy. He doesn't really lose his temper. So, um, yeah, I think he just got fed up and then sort of lost his cool for a moment. 
didn't yeah. think the punishment was maybe a little bit over the top. And um, there was a similar incident in the like Nick Spaziri got warned for blocking at like three or four points into the first game, which um, like that that to me seems like he's the referee has been told to watch out for that for it mm-hmm. so early. Um, kind of like what happens with the Sal these days. Like the first thing he does, he steps out of line. It's like straight warning. Um, and then later on in the season, he was then nine eight down in the second game and tries to block. Admittedly, <laughs> done that. Um, doesn't hit the best shot. It's a forehand straight drive. It kind of comes loose. So the referee gives a stroke to, to his opponent NASA. Uh, which is fair enough. I didn't necessarily disagree, but then also gives him a conduct stroke, so he penalises him. Uh, two points. Which cost him the game. Uh, and surprisingly, because it's not necessarily in his nature, Nick actually stayed relatively calm and like I say, came back and won in five. <laughs> uh, Dana wasn't quite so fortunate. To paint the picture for the audience, um, I think there's a scream at Dana's face, and then I think Dana kind of responded back with a shove. And didn't. I mean, not that I'm... <laughs> applauding Dana's actions here, but I, I didn't think it was a, warranted a conduct match, and I thought the guy sold it pretty yeah. hilariously. But it's one of those instances that in isolation, you probably need to see the whole match and understand the context of what mm-hmm. happened up to that point, which even I don't fully have. So I don't know whether the match was relatively clean up to that point. I don't know whether there was other incidents leading up to that. Like I say, Dana's generally not that sort of character. He's quite fiery. Um, if, if anything, we've actually been encouraging him to to maybe just get a bit more fired up for some of his matches because sometimes he's a little bit too chilled and um, mm-hmm. maybe that backfired. On the day. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was obviously disappointing. And then they obviously went on and played Harvard in the final and made a real match of it. And, did that catch you off guard as well about how close it was between Harvard and Trinity? No, I felt I felt it was. I think I said six months ago or whenever we last t- spoke that yeah. college squash was going to be really open, and that's kind of how it played out. The biggest surprise to me is that Trinity's regular season results didn't really reflect what I thought they were capable of. Um, I'm not. I'm still quite shocked that they went in as a number six seed. Because uh, they clearly had a, a talented team. I mean, you just need to look at Sharaf winning individuals at top. Yeah. Um, I really, really like the the guy. The guy that plays number three, I think, is a really classy player. Joaquin Charles. Yeah, I think he really chopped it up that weekend. And yeah, yeah. And then he just won a B draw at individuals. Um, the guys down the bottom are pretty solid. Like I say, I'm not a huge fan of Daniel Simon's game, but. Takath and Julius Benton are both pretty solid players, hard to break down, tough. Uh, the one that kind of surprised me is the number nine, Cumberbatch. Um, he had some incredible results. Yeah, which yeah. I, I wouldn't have predicted. I mean, he's pretty talented with the racket, but I was amazed that he beat our number nine, Dweek, and I was even more amazed that he beat uh, Rotso in the final. So, mm-hmm. um, Yeah, but... I, I did think that they had Harvard was good, but they they weren't the Harvard of last year, where they had Victor one and Marwan at two, and even going down to like Sam Sherrill and George Grant at three and four. Like it was clear that they weren't at that level, and they they did have some spots where they were a little bit weaker. And 
I think if we had played them in the final, we had we had guys that could have tested them, and I think uh, Trinity did exactly the same thing. There was spots that they were able to take advantage of. Yeah. Um, ultimately, another another win for Harvard. They're really making and I a dinosaur. A lot of credit because, like I say, this this wasn't a team filled with like two guys that played a World Junior final two years ago. I mean, they still no. obviously had Marwan playing at one and. Um, Excluding individuals, he he was the best player in college squash this season. Um, I was pretty confident that we we could have a shot. Um, just you didn't get you have to get, make the final to even get the chance to play them. So I was curious, what, what what do you tell as a coach to guys who probably were expecting to fight for that championship? Um, Lawson, next day you have to kind of play the three four playoff yeah. spot. We had a team meeting after that match, and we said a couple of things. One. One of the things you said is that um, it's it's important that you bounce back. Um, but we also said it's actually it's, it's understandable if you can't get up for tomorrow. Uh, my only request to them as a team was that uh, I felt like they had to make that decision as a team. I didn't think it was fair. Like some guys were like, "Let's go out and beat Yale and get third. Other guys were like, "I really don't care whether we're third or fourth." Um, and I just made the point that we have to collectively decide which approach we're going to take because it's not fair for one guy to go out and fight for his life and, and give 100% and die for his teammates if another guy 30 minutes later goes off and decides he doesn't really care so he's just going to toss it off. Um, so, yeah, in the end, they actually did try and go for it um, and unfortunately we lost another 5-4. Which is, yeah, also went down to the wire. And interestingly, I'm not sure if you picked up on this, but the same four guys that won against Trinity in the semi-final also won against Yale in the fact in the three-four match. Yeah, I did notice that. Yeah, so we had four guys obviously playing really well that that were in form, and uh, unfortunately, we just needed one more guy to step up and and carry us through, and it could have been a big, bit of a different story. It's interesting. I think you guys did this last year as well, and I think not a lot. Of- teams do this because they don't have the depth but Penn always seems to switch up their switch up who plays the seven eight nine spot especially in nationals too and I thought that's always interesting I think that is something because you guys have the luxury to do that with the depth and I think you guys had also switched up your eight and nine huh? yeah, we did that in the first match against Drexel just to protect Roger from his knee issue like I said yeah we thought that um, his best chance of being able to perform was to not play that match. Um, and then, based on that match, it was clear that he wasn't going to be worth playing the following day. And we also had um, another guy that had a bit of a niggle that he picked up in his match. So, at that point, like I said, we weren't that concerned whether we finished third or fourth. And we, we had 11... In Nationals, you can register 11 guys, so... We thought we'd give our number eleven who hadn't played a match the opportunity to show yeah. what he can do. Especially when he's gonna be um the guy that didn't play was a senior, so it wasn't like he was gonna benefit from the experience or anything like that. Whereas mm-hmm. the other guy that we brought in at eleven was a sophomore, so he's got another two years hopefully. So thought it'd be useful experience for him to get a big match in. Okay, I'm curious to hear if did you care about if you guys got a third or not, or you didn't really care after that? Uh, no, personally, it makes no difference to me. Uh, yeah. And even my biggest disappointment was just like, I feel like the guys worked hard. 
certainly after the after the Harvard regular season match, we had a big sort of debrief on where we thought we had basically five weeks from that match to nationals and what we thought we could do better, what we thought we needed to, to look at. And I felt there was a big change in, in just the level of professionalism, the attitude, the sort of attention to detail. I, I know just from speaking to the guys that their nutrition improved, their, their sleep improved, the, the quality of their sessions on court went up. They were... They were keen to get on court and do extra sessions individually. They were also keen to do, like they were doing more fitness. Um, my biggest disappointment is just when guys put that work in and you see it, like you want to see them rewarded. Unfortunately, sport doesn't work that way. Like mm-hmm. I wish there was a direct correlation between how hard you work and what you get out of it. But, but that also is the beauty of sport is that like, there are unpredictable things that happen and that's why we, we all sort of love it. But, but yeah, even if we'd won a national championship, I would be more just pleased for those guys that put out that work than for any sort of personal satisfaction. Or I mean, my my ego is not tied to whether we're national champions or, or not. Yeah, well said. Uh, before we move on, uh, is there any other t- other teams that impressed you during that nationals weekend? Or um, I mean, I think Yale is going to be. A- a really strong team next year. They're basically only losing their number nine. Um, so wow. all their top eight players are going to be back. Uh, Trinity is also only losing one of the guys that played in the final. So they're another team that's, that's going to be really tough next year. Um, I think uh, Harvard might not be the dominant team next year just because they're, they're losing the top two. But then... I think you see every year they, they show up, they're prepared, they're fit, they're mentally tough. I think that's what impresses me the most is that this year they didn't have the talent of previous years, but mentally they're so good under pressure. They win they win so many five-game matches that it's, it's not even funny anymore. <laughs> it's becoming frustrating. And, and that's partly because they're, they're fit, but also mentally they're very, very good under pressure. Um, and I think you can see that, like, I give Mike and Luke and Hamid a lot of credit for the way they prepare their guys for for those matches because our guys, we told them this, like they, they play on a lot of emotion sometimes and sometimes it helps them, but sometimes I don't think it does. Sometimes I think it, it hurts them because they're not able to stay calm and focused under pressure. And you see that with it. Even when we played Harvard regular season, like at one point it was looking likely that we were going to win and their guys just didn't deviate from the game plan they didn't seem to get emotional or caught up in any of that they just stuck to what they knew they had to do and it paid off in the end they just continue to win i really thought if there's a year to overthrow them it, it might be this year but maybe uh they're, they're, on the women's side as well i mean they're, they're, again yeah i think there's a strong case to be made that the trinity women's team was more talented had a better depth, but they found a way, as always. Um, and yeah, I think they, I think this year more than any, they deserve a lot of credit for winning two team national titles. When, when going in, uh, I know they were number one seed in the men's side and they hadn't lost, but I think, I think there was a lot of teams in contention, but they came out on top. And then on the women's side, they went in as the number two seed, having lost for the first time in, I think it was eight years. And when it really counted at Nationals, they, they overturned a 7-2 defeat uh, into a 5-4 win. Uh, very, very winning impressive, some, yeah. Winning some big, big matches in five. Mostly. 
Yeah, I, I guess I was going to say there must be a mixed bag of emotions for you, considering the woman did take the Kurtz Cup. Were you upset that you guys did not come, go into the A draw for that tournament, or were you just uh, content with the fact that it's pretty dominant performance of the Kurtz? No, we were we were disappointed. Um, yeah, with with hosting, um, it was pretty clear all all season that there were nine solid teams. I think the the final we played Dartmouth, they were the number ten team. Um, and our number one player didn't even play, and we still won nine nothing. So I think that was a clear indication that there was there was essentially nine gap. strong teams, um, and then a bit of a gap. But unfortunately, we missed out on being in the top eight, which was fair enough. We didn't beat any of the teams above us, so we didn't deserve to be up there. Uh, there was actually a scenario where our last regular season match was against UVA, and we thought if we had beaten them, that we might have had a chance of sneaking into the number eight spot but actually as it turned out two days so we played them the friday night and we didn't have any matches that weekend but even if we had beat them they went and upset cornell on the sunday which meant that us beating them still would have kept us at nine which would have been even, even worse <laughs> i would have felt horrible for the girls if they if they go and beat uva and then two days later that uva beat cornell and we're stuck at number nine anyway <laughs> that's funny <laughs> <laughs> again, I think the, the women's division was pretty wide open. I, I love the stat that um, on the final day, every single match in the A division of the women's was 5-4. Yeah, I did see that. I think in the men's it was pretty similar as well. I think it was maybe a 7-2 in there, but certainly we were 5-4 with Yale. Harvard Trinity was 5-4. Um, I think Princeton UBA was 5-4. And Drexel beat Cornell 7-2. So. Wow. Yeah, that is quite the result. Um, I wanted to transition into the individuals tournament, um, which really wraps up the season. Um, lots of upsets, and it's always, it's always a funky one, considering some players are checked out, some players really want to win. But I wanted to start off by thinking, thoughts on, did you think the seedings were done correctly in that tournament, or were you kind of questioning certain seedings in the A division for both men and women's yeah the only thing i really didn't necessarily agree with was um at the team event marwan hadn't lost a match all season um and then he lost to veer in the first round of the teams um and then instead of sort of rewarding veer by moving him up in the seedings they penalized marwan by moving him down in the seedings um i would have probably um I would have probably kept Marwan at one, Ali Hussein at two, Mateus at three, and put Veer up to four. The way it played out, Sharaf was the four seed, and he ended up winning it, so that also wouldn't have worked. But um, I thought Veer was a little bit harshly seeded at seven. Harley, yeah, I like his game. Um, I think he's, uh, I know he's planning to play PSA, and I think he can do pretty well. So, um, yeah, I'd, I personally would have left Marwan at number one rewarded Veer more than penalizing Marwan for that result. Yeah, it was a bit of a shocker. I mean, I guess Veer had some up and down results during the season, but to, to put a player like him, his quality at seven kind of did put me by surprise. Um, were, th- were there any matches, I mean, that threw you... There was, there's was a lot of matches that were upsets on the men's side in the A draw, but, yeah. I mean, your player, Nick Spaziri, yeah, well, really... 
not making the quarterfinals. He played Dalem in the first round, which was the 8v9 match with Dalem at number 8, actually. Um, and Dalem was 1-love and I think it was 10-6 in the second to go 2-love up. Um, and Nick actually won the, thir- the second game and then won in four at the end. Um, I think he was he was pretty happy with that one. I don't think he'd ever beaten Dalem. He played Dalem not this season, but last season in a team match, and I think he lost in some absurd like 27 minutes to Dalem if he loved. Dalem's an interesting player. I, I don't know what it is, but something about his game is just... Yeah, gets he gets it done. A, plays a very fast pace, and he, he whips the ball around you pretty well. He's obviously lefty, and he's very good at sort of whipping cross courts across your body at pace. Um, he sort of he's a bit of a whirlwind in terms of the pace that he comes out playing at. But if you can just sort of withstand that and drag him forward into the front two corners, you can you can extend the court against him. Um, and that's eventually what Nick was able to do. But he's not an easy guy to play, that's for sure. Um, another huge match that took us took me by surprise was George Crown's performance in this tournament. Yeah. That was very impressive. Um, I, I didn't think many people saw that coming. I, I mean. I do recognize how good of a player he is, but I didn't expect that from him. <laughs> well, he beat Nathan Cooey, our number one, in the first round, which obviously I was hoping Nathan would win that. But um, I know George is good. I've seen I've seen him play a number of times. Um, Nick has beaten him uh, once this season and once last season. But I don't think he's lost many other matches. He actually lost in the final against Trinity, but I think, I think they might be his only losses in in team squash, um, I was surprised that he beat Mateus in the quarterfinals. I um, probably didn't see that coming. And then also uh, coming back from two love down against Veer in the semis was a bit of a surprise. But he's he's just so steady. Like I, I like his game. He's really solid. Uh, great length. Um, doesn't really open the court up too much. Um, and mentally, pretty good as well. So yeah, I I wouldn't have predicted him making the final, um, but. It wouldn't have surprised me if you said he could have one of those results, those upsets, mm-hmm. but I didn't see him sort of fear like that. Yeah. Um, and then kind of quick, quickly wanted to talk over the uh, Veer and Marwan match, which I think was the most mouth-watering uh, quarterfinal lineup I think I, everyone was expecting. I didn't actually see that one because I was coaching another quarter at the time. But, yeah, I, I struggled to see how that plays out. Um, like I say, I, I like Veer's game and I rate him quite highly, but I put Marwan on another level. I mean, um, yeah, whether it's... I know Veer sort of takes you takes the ball into the front and volleys really well, and whether it's just a case that Marwan struggles to contain him, I, I'm not quite sure. Um, I think I, I caught the end of it when he when it looked like Veer had a chance to win. He was sort of retac- attacking relentlessly, but not wildly, just sort of working, he loves that backhand volley drop um, and it, if anything that's kind of the shot that that got him into trouble against George the next day because he just kept using it and and George was able to get on it and do things off it um, but yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't entirely make sense how Marwan struggles with him, because like I say, that's twice that he's, he's lost to him in the space of two weeks Yeah also, I also wanted to cover the Ali Hussein Nick Spaziri match, uh I don't think a lot of people expect that to go to five, and it seemed pretty feisty in there. Um, I'm sure you you were coaching that match during the Veer and Marwan match. Uh, yeah, I was, so I did see that one. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it wasn't the prettiest match. It, it got better, 
Um, I just Nick sometimes isn't as he can sometimes do himself favours, but I just I don't think he needs to do that. Um, I think he's developed into actually a really good squash player who can who can control the ball really well. He can he's got great touch into the front corners. Um, sometimes he relies on some of the we'll call them dark arts that he maybe previously <laughs> um, in his youth when he was just sort of a bigger guy. But uh, I mean his game has improved at sight this year. He's probably one of the, arguably the most improved player on our team in terms of the level he's playing at. Understanding of what he's doing is very, very high. Like he's one of the most sort of tuned in. He's one of the guys that when I coach him, I'm not actually telling him that much. I'm just sort of he comes off court and he tells me exactly what's happening and why he's winning and why he's losing, and I just sort of guide him in the right direction. But um, yeah, sometimes he can get a bit carried away, and uh, he's he's quite often just a better player if he just gets on with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Ali also can can be a little bit like that. Yeah, I think they're both similar. In the the dark arts. It doesn't make that much sense because, I mean, Nick is a big guy, so maybe it makes sense for him to use his size a little bit. Ali is not. Ali is quick. He can go around. He should. He should, in theory, want the rallies to be longer and continuous and not break it up as much. Knowing that his his renowned fitness will pay off if he does have more of those longer rallies. Um, I mean, he's so quick into the front corners. It's just so hard to. Um, hurt him there. I do think he, he can do more, certainly on the counter drop. Um, I understand why he doesn't want to open the court up too much, but uh, I think there's opportunities for him to, to hurt you more in the front two corners than just sort of heading to the back and hoping that you make errors. Um, and I suspect that he's smart enough that he'll realise that sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. And I, I do know he's also going professional, but I mean, I think we can, we'd be remiss not to talk about the winner. Um, I would sure off. Um. Yeah. I mean, he's fascinating to me because he he played um, against us early in the season and lost to Nathan. In the, mm-hmm. uh, he also lost to Dalem that same weekend and lost to Marwan, obviously, which wasn't a surprise because Marwan beat everyone. But then he comes out of not nowhere, but I think everyone knew he was good. But he didn't. He doesn't always look like he cares, but when he does care, he's really, really damn good. Um, mm-hmm. And he just—he's entertaining to watch. He's—he's he's so attacking. I love the way he like basically puts you into the front left corner and then baits you to hit onto his volley. He's so good across the middle. Um, yeah. But yeah, he's. Um, I was—I was looking through the draws just to compare the strength, and there was only ex- so. I think everyone recognizes that last year was an exceptional year for college squash. And, there was only six of the guys that played in the A draw last year were still in the A draw this year. Um, oh, wow, that's that is quite sad. Um, I don't think it's I don't think it's wrong to say that the final last year between Victor and Yusuf was slightly different level to the final this year between Sharaf and, and George. But at the same time, Sharaf had a great run. Uh, I think he dropped the game in the first round, but after that, he was basically untouchable. Yeah, do you think do you think the glass court changed di- the dynamics of how this tournament played out? Yeah, I mean, he's certainly someone that um, benefits from a, any court that rewards attacking squash with glass mm-hmm. court to. Um, but yeah, he just like I say once once he seems like he's up for it, he's very very hard to stop. Um, and 
Yeah, that's how it's played. Yeah. I thought I thought when it was him against uh, George in the final that he would have a bit too much from George. Just, I know uh, Richard Millman in the commentary was talking about how George might be able to contain him, but I didn't see that. You disagree? How did you think of the commentary? Did you uh, uh, just disagree with what was said? <laughs> I'll say no comment on that. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um. <laughs> Let's just hope he didn't get caught. <laughs> I think that really sums sums it all. Uh, <laughs> I was going to ask one more thing. Do you think this is concerning times ahead for college squash in terms of the level drop as a fan outside of just a pen coach? With no, I, I don't think it's realistic to expect guys in the top ten in the world. Like, well, I guess they were top twenty in the world, but but that's just not going to happen every year. Um, I think I think hopefully we'll get guys that graduate and go on to become top twenty players in the world. But I think last year when when we had Victor and Yusuf in the final, who were both ranked in the top twenty in the te- at the time they were playing college squash, is going to be an, an anomaly. And even on the women's side, I think it's it's unrealistic to expect players to be able to attain that level at such a young age. So you basically have to be top twenty in the world by the time you're twenty two years old. Mm-hmm. Which doesn't happen that often in general. Like even if you look at outside of college sports, there's not that many players at that age. That are. So even if even if college squash attracts the best players in the world as juniors, um, there's still no guarantee that those players are going to go on and become top twenty in the world before they graduate. Yeah, I just think it's a natural cycle. Um, I think part of it will depend on the Egyptians and. They're obviously dominating junior squash, and if the best Egyptians continue to come to college, like, be interesting to see what someone like Amina Orphy does. She decides to play professionally or come to college. Um, yeah, same same on the boys' side with, with some of the, the young players they have. But um, I don't think college squash is in danger of dropping off. I think it's going to stay strong. But I just think last year was exceptional, partly because of COVID. If you think that um, a few of the guys that played last year maybe wouldn't have been there if it wasn't for uh, extra years due to COVID. Yeah. And also wanted to touch on the guys who are going pro. I think a couple of the seniors who are graduating, I think Ali Hussein, Veer, Matias, Marwan still, I think there's a huge question mark running around his head, but... All right. I heard a rumor that he's not. I, I did hear that George is going to give it a shot. Which yeah. Wow, that's great news. For... The, more, the more guys that give it a go, the better, I think. I think it's a great reflection of college squash. I think it highlights the level. I mean, you, you see, I think it was the Squash on Fire tournament, PSA event recently. Yeah, I did, I did see it. Something ridiculous, like 14 former college squash players playing that tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I don't think that number of top juniors coming to the US for college is going to drop off. I also hope that the number of those players that then continue to at least give it a shot. I mean, not all of them are going to become top 20 or even top 50 players, but I love the idea of just go and see what you can do for a year or two. Like quite often, you never really know how your game is going to evolve and progress when it's your sole focus. I mean, guys, guys hopefully can continue to improve during college, but some guys manage the balance between academics and squash better than others, and some guys respond better to two sessions a day versus one session a day more. Um, but just just give it a shot, see see what you're capable of. 
I feel like the opportunities that you maybe miss out on in terms of jobs will still be there generally in two or three years. Suppose, yeah. Um, and I love the fact that someone like George, who's not he's, he's always been a good player, but he's maybe not um, had the same profile as his other guys in that Harbour team just because of the fact that those guys were so good is giving it a shot. And so, I, I tried really hard to encourage James Flynn, James Flynn to do the same. Um, the only issue with James was his body. Um, Any time he tried to train really hard, he just seemed to pick up like problems with his hamstring or his back or something seemed to prevent him. So. Incredibly talented player, James. Well, yeah, see. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like I say, I, I hope as many of those guys as possible just give it a shot and see what they're capable of. And if, if what they're capable of is just breaking into the top 100 and doesn't quite go the way they hope, then at least they, at least they know. Yeah, um, that's fair. Uh, I wanted to move into the Ramsey Cup, the women's individuals, and I did want to talk to you about this because I know how big of a fan you are with Simi's game, and for her to win it, win it all, I thought... I had that at the back of my mind when I was watching that final. I was like, I, I do know Stuart rates her game really high and she's very tricky. And for her to beat Siva, I think is a very impressive feat. Even I'm sure even though give Siva some slack. Yeah. I mean, I'm good friends with Chris Zachby. Um, and I was actually speaking to him on Saturday before the, after they won the semifinals. And it was, uh, it was known that Simi was going to play in Siva in the final. I was talking to Chris, um, that night and, he he felt like she had a chance, and I agreed. I, I just it didn't seem to me that Siva is back at the level she was at last year. Um, I know she was out of the game for like six months, and it's great that she made it back at all. But I think she only played her first match like two months ago. I think it was against Penn actually when we were up there in early January. Um, and yeah, watching her play in, on uh, on the weekend, she didn't seem as sharp. She seemed a little bit sluggish to the front. Um, normally her movement is one of her real strengths. She's great with the racket, but the thing that makes her good with the racket is that she moves so fluently and gets on the ball early. And she just felt, it felt like she was having to force her sort of creativity and her shots in the front of the court because she wasn't able to rely on her movement as much. And I thought the, the one person I could see exposing that was uh, was Simi. And I know in, in the team event, they also, Columbia played Cornell in the the Nationals uh, team event and Farida also be her pretty convincingly. Yeah, I did see that. Season, yeah, we also need to address the fact that Farida, yet again, misses another year of individuals. Yeah. I, mean, that, I didn't ask Chris about this, but that seems like a straight up, like her priority is BSE ranking, an opportunity to go home and play black ball, and she decided to prioritize that. Um, I don't know how much control Chris has over that or how much say he had in that decision. But, um, yeah, if I guess it depends on how important a college squash individual championship is versus being certainly keeping your top 20 ranking or even pushing to be top 10 in the world might be more important to her. Fair enough. Yeah. I, I was never in that position to, to make that decision, Sean, so I, I can't change your comment. <laughs> Understood. Uh, we'll, we'll ask follow questions on that. But were there, was there any other players on in that tournament that caught your eye in particular? Um, I think overall the the Trinity women's team was very good. I mean, obviously they were number one seeds, um, but they have a nice mix of 
girls that um, have a lot of talent. Uh, it's, it's hard to tell like how many of them will take it seriously, how much of them, how many of them will go on and play professionally. But they certainly have more than they probably have four or five girls that I think could go on and play professionally. Wow! Yeah, top three are all Egyptian, all very talented. The number four girl actually, I like her again. Uh, another Hungarian girl. Seems like uh, Trinity is some sort of secret connection in Hungary. <laughs> Two guys in the men's team and one in the women's team. So, um, but she's a nice player, and I sort of vaguely remember her from juniors. She was one of the top juniors in Europe, and she's now there doing really well, playing at number four. Um, she won one of the B draws at the weekend. I don't, I don't even know if she lost them at the team event all season. Um, so yeah, uh, other players. Um, yeah, Marina was not miles off, but uh, I definitely felt like... I thought the seeding there was a little bit odd, that Marina was the two seed and Simi was the three seed. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't see that match going that way. Uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't surprised that Simi won that. Do, do you think that you've seen growth in Marina's game since last I year? I don't see Marina play that often, to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. Even when we played Harvard, I... Um, the men's match was so tight that um, I ended up just focusing solely on the men's match when we played Harvard. Yeah. Um, so I didn't even see her against our number one girl. I know she won the love. Um, and I, I didn't really catch a lot of her. Um, certainly, her results are pretty consistent. She doesn't really lose to anyone below her. Um, and... It'll be interesting to see if she plays a few more PSA events now that the college season's over. And I think that'll give you a better indication of whether her game's improved and whether she starts to move up the rankings because the opportunity for players like her to, to do that are over the next sort of six months. Um, but it seems, I mean, it would be a blockbuster final to and one of these years to see a semi-Farida final uh, seeing the team teammates, but I think... There's a there's a solid chance for that happening in the next two years, considering they are, I think, both on the young. I think they're both sophomore, sophomores from when I was juniors. Farida might have been a junior, but I could be wrong. Okay, so maybe, but I guess we have one more year of this of hoping that that could be the final. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Farida's never won it. I think uh, I don't even know if she's ever played it. I don't think she's ever played this tournament. Yeah. Um, I guess we'll find out next year. Yeah. But yeah, I think that kind of wraps it up. But before I wrap this episode up, I just want to hear sort of your thoughts on the Penn team going into next year. I know I'm sure you haven't really given that much of a thought, but um, are, you know, hopes high for the upcoming season next year because I'm sure that will come blink of an eye. Obviously, we're hoping to be in contention again. I think that will happen. We're losing. Um, Two guys that have been pretty strong players for the program. Dylan, Dylan had played five all year, but didn't lose a match, and uh, actually won his draw in the B, the B draw individual. So he was nineteen and off the season. Wow! Uh, and also Satcham, who hadn't lost the match until this season for the team. Lost the I did notice that. <laughs> um, so yeah, there'll be two tough players. The top four are all returning. We've got uh, one recruit from Egypt that I think will fit into the top four or five um, and certainly replace one of those guys. Um, 
and then we've, we've got another senior, Tushar, who played eight most of the season, um, or certainly seven or eight. Uh, I think I think we'll be on a similar level. Like I say, I think uh, I think Trinity are going to be really strong again, given that they've just made the final and are only losing one player in the top nine. Uh, and Yale, I think, is going to be really strong again. And I don't think you can ever rule out um, certainly certainly not Harvard and even Princeton. Like. I think we play Princeton away. Princeton on their home courts are always a tough match. So I don't see much changing in terms of who the top five teams are next season. Got it. Well, yeah, exciting stuff for next season. I think that wraps up this episode. Uh, I don't be Stuart 